Amen. I want you to just uh, remind yourself of this series, Scripture. We're talking about triumph over unforgiveness today. And the Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 2.14, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. Now if that's the case, and He always, say that with me, always leads us in triumph, then can He not cause us to triumph over unforgiveness? Look at somebody and say, I am willing. Unforgiveness is just when you're unwilling or unable to forgive someone for hurting, betraying, or breaking trust, and it causes you intense emotional pain. Now we know, come on, shout it out, we know, all things are possible with God. So when we're talking about unforgiveness, we're not talking about ability, we're talking about willingness to deal with unforgiveness. I want to just say something more about this cancel culture that is in the land right now. The cancel culture basically says something like this, that uh, if you, in your recesses of your past, you've done something unethical, immoral, racist, sexist, whatever the case may be, then whatever contribution you make now is completely irrelevant and your legacy should be, you know, attached to that and everything else ignored. I want to say it again. Thank God he didn't treat us that way. Because I know some of y'all. And some of y'all got a past. Come on and say it. Everybody has a past. And so what you do is if a person doesn't perfectly line up with your image of what a person should be, then you begin to strike out with this cancel culture. And listen to me, brothers and sisters, it is the greatest example of unforgiveness in the land today. We rummage through the lives of others looking for something they did or said, and then we punish them or strike out against their legacy. I thank God that when the prodigal son came back, the father didn't say, I'm canceling you. No, he restored him. Let me put it to you just as plainly as I can here today. He didn't cancel him. He didn't say you're without merit, you're without goodness, you're without something that's positive. You know, the reality is, is when you cancel a person, you also cancel anything good associated with that person. And you have to make up your mind how you're going to view things in life. For example, John Wayne said some things in 1971 that were terrible, racially inflaming and, and completely ignorant. This past week, the Orange County Airport Authority voted to take his statue down and then want to rename it back to the Orange County Airport or Airfield. Well, they have that right to do that, but I want you to understand that's a dangerous place to, to, to be because everyone then should be canceled. Because every person in this room is guilty of some measure of sin in their life. At some time or another, you did the wrong thing, you said the wrong thing, you thought the wrong thing, you handled, you responded, you reacted inappropriately, and therefore everyone in this room should be canceled as well. It was through the influence of a little girl who had been to a tragic accident, and a friend was going to be at a dinner where John Wayne was in attendance. And this little girl basically said, you know, I want to know, have you given your life to Jesus Christ? And here's what she said. And she said, give this letter to him. And out of compassion, that's exactly what this person did. And that little letter just simply said, you know, I want to know if you've given your life to Jesus Christ. And here's what she said. She said, heaven would be the same without John Wayne. 
And he sat at that table, pulled it out, and read that letter, and big tears came down his face. And he looked at that man and said, you tell her, you go back and tell her that John Wayne at this table just gave his life to Jesus Christ. John Wayne will be in heaven. That's the perspective of God. It does not justify or prove anything he did in any area of his life. The point is, this world cancels, God restores. And right now you could have the perspective of Black Lives Matter. You can have the perspective of some alt-white group. You can have the perspective of, of the police department. You could have the perspective of, of some governor or some leader or some mayor. Or you can be brilliant like the Minneapolis City Council who decided to completely disband the police department. And then they asked the taxpayers to pay for private security for them. There was a police officer who went to a briefing and the captain said, now we've got some special circumstances today. There's going to be a protest in our city. And he asked, well, what's the protest about? He said, it's a protest about defunding the police. He goes, and here's the real kicker. They're asking us to provide a police detail so they can be safe while they protest. <laughs> if you're not careful, you will cancel yourself into an indefensible position that is completely inane. You can take on any of those perspectives, but God today is challenging you. You're not supposed to take on a perspective of a certain color or a certain creed or authority or government or business. You're supposed to be taking on the perspective of God. Just because there are special circumstances in the land does not give an American Christian the right to set aside the word of God and pursue that path in any direction on that path. Are you here today? The cancel culture is a systematic holding of grudges and bitterness and unforgiveness and also integrating the unforgiveness into others' lives and encouraging unforgiveness in others. The problem is we all have skeletons in our closet. You didn't seem too enthused about that, so I'll say it again. The problem is we all have skeletons in our closets. <laughs> Raise your hand if you'd rather not somebody open that door. See, some of you shot that hand up so high, so fast. Uh-huh. You know, the problem with it is we all have skeletons in our closets if we want the blood to cover our skeletons, we've got to let the blood cover the skeletons of other people. Are you here today? Psalm 130, verse 4 says, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? Well, that pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? Look at somebody and say, You're toast without Jesus. Say it one more time. You are toast without Jesus. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand but with you? There is forgiveness. God's perspective is a whole lot more wholesome, isn't it? Yes, amen. Moses was a murderer. Thank God he didn't cancel him. We kind of we needed him, didn't we? 
Thank God, even though David was an adulterer and conspired to commit murder, God didn't cancel him. Well, I bet you God never looked at him the same way. Is that right? Do you know what that city is called? Even to this day, the city of... Well, we're taking his name off that city. He's an adulterer and he's a murderer. He's a racist. Enough of this. No, it's what God's perspective is. Don't let yourself be caught and lower yourself down to the way man thinks. God is always right. Man is more often than not wrong. Huh. Rahab was a prostitute. And not just the prostitute, she ran the most successful brothel in the Jericho territory. She was like the Miss Kitty at Jericho. And what did she do? She made a decision to align herself with God. And if you read your Bible, say, I read my Bible, you'll find out that Rahab is in the lineage of your Lord and Savior. And I got news for you. If you don't like it, God's not going to give you permission to cancel her and cut her name out of the Bible. Peter betrayed Jesus. Not just I don't know the man. He did it with what? With cussing. I don't know the blanky to blank. And yet God didn't what? Didn't cancel him. Thomas doubted. About to miss his destiny. But thank God he wasn't canceled. If you will read into church history, you'll see what an enormous difference in the work that Thomas actually accomplished. Thank God he still had plans for him. I'm telling you, he didn't cancel Moses, didn't cancel David, didn't cancel Rahab, didn't cancel Peter, didn't cancel Thomas, and he's not going to cancel you either. Amen. During this season in our nation, anyone operating outside of the love of God debate and encourage unforgiveness or respond in unforgiveness Ultimately, there is going to be accountability for that. I'm coming to you as a preacher of the Word of God to tell you that there are lots of ways you can handle things, but you are charged to handle them the way the Word of God prescribes. If you're going to be a Christian like Christ, that's how you should handle these situations. Are you still here? The same spirit lurks in the church today. Unless you conform perfectly to someone's secret or unspoken expectation for you, they will cancel you. And I'm not referring to somebody who is an abuser, someone who is a manipulator, somebody who is a serial adulterer. I'm not talking about situations that justify dealing with that kind of individual. I'm just simply saying somebody doesn't like what you said, they don't like what you did, they don't like you all that much, and then they just cancel you. They can be shown great mercy. Just like in Matthew chapter 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant who was forgiven an insurmountable debt in the natural only to go out and find somebody who owed him a $20 bill and treated him harshly. Do you know what the moral of that story is? It all gets back to God. Let me try that one more time. It all gets back to God. He gave mercy, and the one that was given mercy gave none back. That's a serious problem. 
the story of the unmerciful servants, a warning to us that we, if we won't forgive others, we will lose our forgiveness. And the original sin debt, according to this story, is restored to the one who won't give mercy. Let me put it to you in a way that all of us can understand. You and I can't afford to be unforgiving. The sin debt is just too huge. There's nothing we can do about it. That same spirit is here. I've seen people play out this game time and time and time again as, as a pastor where they have been blessed, they have been supported, they have been encouraged. The body of Christ has been there for them. They've stood with them. They have empowered them. They've listened to their teachings. They have you know, cooperated with their business ideas. And all of a sudden, they just disappear on that body. Can I tell you something? That is the cancel culture in the church. Thank you for your enthusiasm and silence over that revelation. Your job is to recognize, not that in someone else, but to recognize that tendency in your life and function as a person that walks in love rather than this spirit right now. Let me tell you fundamentally what the, can what the cancel culture is. It's actually the spirit of unforgiveness. I want you to shout this out. The cancel culture is the spirit of unforgiveness. That doesn't mean there can't be accountability if your wrong's done, but the question is, who's going to bring the accountability? Mm -hmm. Unforgiveness is a dangerous way to live because it cuts us off from the grace and the mercy of God, and it's just a matter of time before you and I crash, perhaps irrevocably crash. Listen to James 2.6. Judgment will be merciless to the one who shows no mercy, for mercy does what? Triumphs. Over what? Over judgment. The triumph is in the mercy category, not in the judgment category. Yes, amen. Colossians 3.13, be tolerant of one another and forgive each other. If anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, you also should forgive. And I find this interesting scripture. Have you ever just really couldn't, couldn't wait to go home and study the book of Leviticus? You just, I mean you, I mean, you are fired up every day you get up to do your devotions in the book of Leviticus. And yet, in the middle of that book, in chapter 19, are these powerful words that resonate throughout the New Testament and to our present day. The scripture says, do not bear a grudge against others, but settle your differences with them, so that you will not commit a sin because of them. Do not take revenge on others or continue to hate them, but love your neighbors as you love yourself. I am the Lord. Well, I just thought that was a New Testament principle. No, brothers and sisters, it's a reflection of the nature of God. Right in the middle of all those do's and don'ts, we have a very powerful command to walk in love. Amen. Now, when we talk about this, sometimes people will misunderstand what unforgiveness and dealing with it means. Let me tell you what triumph over unforgiveness does not mean. It doesn't mean you have now to make this person your best buddy. You do not demonstrate forgiveness by letting that person be close in your life again. That's not what unforgiveness is. If you fail to do that, then somehow you're walking in unforgiveness. No. 
Second of all, it doesn't mean you have to be a punching bag verbally or physically for that person. In other words, you can forgive and not put yourself in the position to be abused again. I'm preaching, but y'all are yawning out there. Come on now. It doesn't mean you have to sit there and put up with that. And if you don't put up with it, then you're not a forgiving person. Manipulators use that language. Dominators use that language. If you really forgave me, then you would let me be a future, you know, let yourself be a future punching bag when I get upset then. No, it doesn't work that way. Amen. By having a wrong understanding of this issue, you may not realize that you might be practicing forgiveness in some manners and ways you're not even familiar with in terms of your life and practice here. You know, just because you forgive them doesn't mean now if you forgave them that you would let them carry on their behavior. Now, we have a word for that in recovery ministries. It's called what, church? It's enabling behavior and it becomes codependency. You strike me, I'll forgive you. We'll go on down the road and let you do it all over again. No. I've never understood why the church, in some cases, not all, and even Christians, will allow spouses to do things in a marriage that break the law of Kentucky. You break the law, what happens? You'd be held accountable for it. How, how dare the church sanction criminal behavior in the name of marriage? And you won't find anybody more committed to the sanctity, preservation, and defense of marriage. But I'm not going to sit there and defend somebody's criminal behavior. When he gets out in 12 to 15, you can work on that marriage. Moving right along. It doesn't mean that trust will instantly be restored. You can forgive and still not trust. There have been people falsely taught that if you really forgave them, then you would trust them. No, you can forgive them and not trust because trust is actually something that is earned. Amen. It can be rebuilt, but when you tell somebody, well, if you really forgave them, you would trust me, that's manipulative. Number five, it doesn't mean forgetting. It means that you're losing consciousness of the wrong over time. The consciousness is diminished. We sowed this seed a few weeks ago. Let me explain it to you again. You need to forgive and forget. You aren't capable of completely forgetting. One is God does not forget. He chooses not to, what? Punish you or hold you in contempt or view you a certain way. You're made in his image. Now, through medical conditions, you could lose consciousness of that. But through the grace of God, it doesn't have to be the forefront of your mind every day. But if, you know, somebody ran you over with a car, I doubt 20 years later you'll forget that somebody ran you over. But your consciousness can begin to fade over time through the application of the grace and the love of God. Are you here today? So what do you do? You forgive. But if every single day you get up and the first thing you do is you think about them hitting with your car and you mumble about it and you talk to everybody you can, can you believe that 55 years ago somebody ran me over with their car? And you think about it and you talk about it. Guess what's going to happen? Almost impossible for the consciousness of that thing against you to be, you know, diminished in your life. Again, how many know that God's principles work? 
They're anointed. There's supernatural power on them to work. Then what does it mean? Number one, it means you don't let it control you. Whatever was said, whatever was done, whatever happened to me, it does not have to control me. Number two, you don't have to let it paralyze you. Some people can't move forward. They can't move to the sideways. They can't do anything in life because this is where they are. This is now their identity. Number three, you don't have to let it define you. I'm the victim of this. I'm the victim of that. No, when you have a vision from God, it'll take you beyond that image of what happened to you to live at a higher level. Number four, you don't have to let it influence your decisions. Amen. You know you're really working this out well in terms of things that have happened to you when you can make a decision without referencing what that, thing, what that was that happened to you. It's very important you understand that. And number five, you don't let it stop you. Look at somebody and say, it's not going to stop me. God's got a plan for my life. God's doing great things in my life. And I'm not giving it up in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me just bring this right down to the level that everybody in this room, and right now anybody in this county can grab a hold of. If a 150-year-old statue can offend you, You are not perfected in love. Now, I'm not talking about having an opinion about what it represents and a rational discussion and the community decide what they want to do. I'm talking about offense, unforgiveness. If you can let a 150-year-old statue offend you, you're not perfected in love. The spirit of unforgiveness is still lurking in your heart. And it's a whole lot easier for me to focus on that piece of concrete than it is to look in the mirror and ask the Holy Ghost to search my heart. Now, that was for offending half of you. Let me get the other half real quick. <laughs> if you get offended because somebody wants to take down a 150-year-old statue, you're not perfected in love. The spirit of unforgiveness is lurking too in your heart. Amen. So you can see, you can either be on that side or this side, or you can be on God's side. Where unforgiveness should not have a place in your heart. Amen. Glory to God. I could just have an altar call right now. and Just go have lunch. How do you release unforgiveness in your life? How, how do you walk in triumph over that? I want you to see one of my uh, favorite scriptures over in Luke 6. Pastor, everyone's your favorite, pretty much. Luke 6. There are four keys here, and I'm going to put them in the context of triumph over unforgiveness. But Jesus said, look here at verse uh, 27, but I tell you, hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who use you or hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Let me read this again. But I tell you that hear me. How many want to hear him? Push out all the noise and listen and really hear Jesus. 
I tell you, those who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. In other words, how you are treated does not dictate your behavior, does not dictate your response. The Word of God does. Write this down. Number one, you love the person. You what? You love the person. Now, what does that mean, love? Love the person. Well, you know, the scripture says in Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And what? Love your neighbor as yourself. All the prophets and law hang on these two commands. So we understand that they're very important in the eyes of God. Jesus points this out when somebody asks him what the greatest commandment is. And he tells them, this simple definition will help you. When I say love the person, I mean see them through God's eyes. You will never meet someone on this planet that God doesn't love. I mean, it's hard for us to understand this, but the most wicked person in history, God loved them. He didn't approve of their behavior, their choices, their wickedness, but he loved them. He died for them. Amen. And when you are really loving the person, you're looking at them through God's eyes, not yours. God's eyes, not the media's eyes. God's eyes, not the Democrats' eyes. God's eyes, not the Republican eyes. God's eyes, not the white eyes. God's eyes, not the black eyes. God's eyes, not the red eyes. God's eyes, not the white eyes. Not the brown eyes. The pink eyes. Whatever. <laughs> you get the point that you're supposed to be looking at people through whose eyes? And that is a decision. That is a choice that you make and you remake every single day of your life. Why is this important? Galatians 5, 6 tells us that faith works by love. Your faith won't work if you are not looking at people through God's eyes. Faith is activated, energized, empowered by your love. Mark 11 tells us how to walk by faith and how to deal with mountains in our lives. But at the end of that phrase, it tells us if we have any unforgiveness towards anyone, what should we do? You should forgive them because if you don't, you cannot have the benefits of that kingdom. In this case, you can either have your mountain move. Look at somebody and say, I say to the mountain, move. You can say to the mountain and it would what? It would obey you, but there's a caveat here. There's a condition here. There's a star here. And that star is that you have to walk in forgiveness. So you can have your mountain moved or you can have your grudge. But you can't have both. Now, I don't know about you. I'd rather have my mountain moved. We got people in the body of Christ. They're speaking to mountains and they're speaking to cars and they're speaking to houses and they're speaking to money and they're speaking to jobs. You need to get the unforgiveness out of your heart so that your speaking will work. Amen. And when you stand and pray, forgive anything you may have against anyone so that your Father in heaven will forgive the wrongs you have done. There is no forgiveness for you and there is no mountain moving, amen, power flowing from you. And that pretty much sums it up. Anyone. Do you have something against anyone? 
This is what you call an unpleasant and uncomfortable pause. <laughs> Come on, shout it out. Anyone. That is the standard. Hallelujah. So I'm going to release this unforgiveness from my life by loving the person. Ask yourself a question. Do I want my mountain moved more than I want to hold on to the grudge? Number two, do good to the person. Do good to them. So do good seed. Every time you're troubled in your mind about what they did or said, sow a seed in their direction. I am not going to sow a seed in their direction. Do you know what they did? Do you know what they said? Just the problem. If you want the unforgiveness gone, you want the freedom there, you want the victory there, you're going to have to follow what Jesus said. Now, it's going to be impossible for you to sow a do-good seed and be unforgiving towards them at the same time. Amen. Blessed are the merciful, the Bible says, Matthew 5, 7. Proverbs 25 tells us this. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you'll heat burning coals on his head, and listen to this, and the Lord will reward you. So let me get this straight, preacher. Somebody stabs me in the back, and I start doing nice things for them. The Lord's going to deal with them and reward me. That's exactly right. Or you can keep on trying to handle it yourself. Amen. How's that going? Mm-hmm. And then when you read that scripture, invariably somebody thinks, well, what does it mean they're going to have hot coals on their head? Does that mean God's going to keep them warm in the winter? Does that mean they're going to be cleansed by fire? Does that mean they're going to be burnt to a crisp in judgment? Missing the whole point. I don't agree with John Calvin about an awful lot, but he said this, and it's powerful. Either our enemy will be softened by kindness or he is so ferocious that nothing may assuage him. He will be stung and tormented by the testimony of his conscience, which will feel itself overwhelmed by our kindness. You've heard the phrase, kill him with kindness? Apparently it really works. Amen. And the Lord will what? Reward you. So how am I supposed to do that? Well, First of all, don't do it with trumpets. Do it in secret. Do it in ways that only God will know. Otherwise, it'll come off being just manipulative. Amen. Number three, bless the person. This is really rather difficult, actually. It means to say good things about them to yourself and say good things about them to others. Do you know what they did? Do you want me to say good things? See, what keeps you from canceling them in terms of the things of God is you're saying good things about them, which means there must be something good to say about them. And I realize it may take you some time for some people to find that, but there's something good to say. Amen. John Wayne's behavior and speech, indefensible. But when you consider what he did for that part of the country and that community, that's what you would bless him about for the good that was actually accomplished. Now, 
James put it this way, you can't have salt water and fresh water come from the same spring. You can't curse God's creation who's made in his image and bless God. There's got to be an adjustment. What's the inference here is you bless God and you do what? You bless the creation as well. Look at somebody and tell them again, this is about the perspective of the word of God. Not human beings, not people. To, to bless them. With the tongues we bless our Lord and Father, and we curse those made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. It's hard to say good things about a person who continues to rag on you, but listen, my brothers and sisters, that's the Christian way. Amen. Well, I don't like being criticized. Be nothing, do nothing, say nothing, receive no criticism. It's a man or woman that sticks his head up out of the foxhole that gets shot at. I'd rather be doing God's will and get shot at than sit down there cowering in fear of what people think. In fact, the Bible says fear of man disables. You'll be paralyzed by the opinions of people. What do you do? You love the person. You do good to the person and you bless the person. You say good things on purpose. I shouldn't have to explain this, but if a couple is divorced and, and the kids come over to spend time with mom, she should not be ragging on dad to the kids. Kids go spend time with dad. Dad should not be ragging on mom. They should be blessing one another. It's already a tough enough situation without you trying to alienate the kids from one another. And I'm preaching better y'all are shouting right now. You bless. That's a real simple but effective illustration of what this means. If you can bless that man or bless that woman, you could, you could practice that anywhere. Hallelujah. Some of y'all say, I'm practicing it with you right now. I'm still offended over that statue comment. <laughs> you, you, you lost me a long time ago, brother. Look, I was born in Yankee territory. I am a Yankee. I could care less. I don't have a dog in the hunt, but I don't like seeing Christians throw down the word of God to enter into a fight with natural and carnal means. That's my part in the hunt. Amen? Because I know what will end up happening is you'll get nowhere. You'll be destroyed by it. People will be diminished by it. And that's not God's best. All this time I thought you were born down here, Brother Art. I was so offended. <laughs> like Western Kentucky, Southern Illinois was up for grabs. It really was. You had stupidity on both sides. Most of the stupidity has moved up to Chicago now, but it's <laughs> still there in some regards. Amen. And Springfield. We have doorknobs that are smarter than the leaders in Illinois right now. <laughs> Moving right along. Stay in love, Art. Stay in love. Walk in love. Pray for the person. Uh -huh. Number four, what do you do? You pray for them. <laughs> Some of you are thinking, I like this one. Lord, you know that jerk? Yeah, that one, Lord. Sick him. Get him. 
lightning bolts. Nail them in love, but nail them. No, that's not what he's talking about. You pray for the person, you pray for God's best over them. Not that God would strike them down or hang, you know, hang them by the thumbs, but God's best for them. Well, that's not easy. No, this is not easy. That's why most Christians won't even do it. We're told by Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the Master, the one who died for us, that we are to love the person, we're to do good for the person, we're to bless the person, and we're to pray for the person. And if we won't do it as Christians, how can we expect this goofed-up society to do it? <laughs> you pray that God would have his way in their lives. Yes, pray for them to be all right. Pray for God to move in their life and the heart. But even your prayer can be out of love if you're not careful. I see this a lot. Uh, here's a phrase for you. Charismatic or Pentecostal witch. This is praying a prayer designed to get somebody to do what you want them to do. All in the name of Jesus. It gets really interesting when they're praying that prayer and the person they're praying about is near them. Oh, Jesus, you know how stupid Stan is. You know he needs to do this, Lord. He needs to do exactly what I think he should do. And oh God, praying for pastor. He needs. He should. I think. Why not? When is he? Darling, you are flirting with witchcraft. And if you're looking for a sin in your life to repent of, that's a pretty good place to start. Because that's not what Jesus is telling you to pray about. That's not what he means here, is you somehow go into super spiritual, you know, charismatic witchcraft, try to get somebody to do what you want them to do. Listen to me carefully. It is ungodly to pray that way. You can pray, thy will be done. You can pray the scripture over them. But to pray out of your own flesh because you want somebody to do something the way you want them to do it, God help you. Amen. Let me help you out here. Most people are, are hard-headed anyway when you pray that way. They're not going to respond to that. Now let me help you out here. Pastors are extra hard-headed. <laughs> they, they, they have to develop some skills along the way. Amen? They have to be thick-skinned. They have to have a soft heart but they also have to have a hard head. Amen. Glory to God. So you pray for them, but in a godly way. This same Peter that God refused to cancel, he said, don't repay evil for evil. Don't snap back at those who say unkind things about you. Instead, pray for God's help for them. For we are to be kind to others, and God will bless us for it. Isn't that powerful? Look at somebody and say, pray for the person. Bless the person. Do good for the person. Love the person. And what will happen? God will bless you. Go to Romans 12 as we circle the wagons here. Pastor, you know, I noticed one thing about listening to you for a while. You never say in conclusion. 
true. <laughs> so when are you done? When I'm done. <laughs> Romans 12. This is a great scripture if you want to develop your love walk with God. Verse 9, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Could you imagine all the strife that would disappear if people would honor others above themselves? Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. How many things will be fixed if people live this way? Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. As it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. Says the Lord, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? With what? With good. Now watch this. This will help you come under that trap of unforgiveness. Notice the phrase here, I will repay. I will repay. What will he do? He will bring about supernatural justice. Come on, say this. That means he's going to take care of me. Second of all, repayment means he's going to hold those accountable for the wrongdoing. Now, I want you to understand that uh, there's been so much wrong done by so many people, so many groups of people, since the Lord Jesus Christ uh, came as the agent of creation in Genesis and the Spirit of God as it hovered waiting for the command of God, there has been much injustice. There has been much crime. There has been much abuse of humankind. Man's ability to hurt man is, is unbelievable. In every generation, in every culture, you have this evil. Who is going to pay for it? My brothers and sisters, there's not enough money in all the earth to pay for this. There's just not. You cannot repay the native Indians, for example, for what's been done to them in this land. Thank you for your enthusiasm over that revelation. You can't. In fact, even though the Supreme Court came down and said that the territory that includes Atlanta, Georgia, and surrounding Metroplex belonged by treaty to the Cherokee Nation, they were still run off that land. Could you imagine what they'd be owed right now just for somebody renting that land all those years? You can't pay for it. There's nothing you can do to repay somebody for being enslaved by another group of people. You can't. There's nothing that can be done, you know, really. How do you hold the, the people of the Nazi regime responsible for what they did? You can't. That's why you had to have a Savior to come for the sins of the world. You and I can't pay 
for the sin. There's not enough money to pay for the sin. But here's the good news for you and for me. If you'll let God take care of it, he'll also take care of the reimbursement part. And a place that has streets that are made out of gold, there's plenty in heaven to take care of the bill. If you will do what he says here, he will hold those accountable that are evildoers and he will make sure that you are reimbursed and recompensed. But it will come from him. Hmm. Do you catch this? My job is to do what? Love the person. Do good for them. Bless them. Pray for them. God's job, accountability and recompense. And I was uh, ministering in Nassau several years ago. The word of prophecy came to me, and I just delivered it to the people of that great nation, of that great people, and that great church. One of our college students uh, graduated here with a business degree, went down there, and has built a wonderful ministry and tremendous uh, outreach that I believe he'll touch all, all the Caribbean by the time he's done on this earth. But here's the bottom line. The Lord gave me a word for them, and it's a word for us to seize upon as people who've ever been affected by those that have done wrong. The reparations and the restoration is going to come from heaven. What's happening is there will be more people who have been traditionally abused and persecuted, enslaved, killed, maimed. There's going to be a great raising up economically of those peoples, not by man, by God. Hallelujah. What does that mean? You can just take this to the bank. Jesus tarries the next 20 years. You'll see more black Americans that are millionaires than you've ever seen in your entire life. Isn't that marvelous? Say, well, I'm white and I'm going to be able to. No one's stopping you. You sow your seed. You walk with God. Amen. You do what he tells you to do. Is it possible? Yes. The accountability comes from heaven. The reparations and restoration comes from where? Heaven. He said, I will repay. Who will? God. Now, at a smaller level, you may have been the victim of some injustice, some slight. Somebody took advantage of you. Somebody stole from you. Somebody undermined you. Somebody cut you off of the legs. Somebody stole the credit. Somebody stole whatever it is you work for. God is not blind. You practice these principles, and he will go to work on the accountability as well as the restoration. As long as you're looking at man and his limited ability, you're not going to see much of either. Shout it out. He is the Lord. He will repay. Come on, shout it out. He is the Lord. He will repay. I say, my job is to love them. Do good to them. Bless them. Pray for them. Come on, stand to your feet and shout it out one more time. My job is to love them. Do good to them. Bless them. Pray for them. God's job? Accountability? Recompense. Come on, close your eyes and say it and get deep into your heart. My job is to love them. Do good for them. Bless them. Pray for them. God's job. Accountability. 
and recompense. He will repay. 